0: Hi. <laughs> right,
1: Wayne. Poor Diano. Why are you sat on my bed? I found this. A photo album? Yeah, it was in your attic. I've never seen that before. No, there aren't any old photos in the house, are there? You've always wondered about that, haven't you? Yeah, I suppose... Look at these photos of your mum about 40 years ago. Oh yeah. Hang on, isn't that you? Yeah, that's right. She used to come down to London and watch gigs with her friend Christine. We got quite friendly. This one of us here is about about a year before you were born. So you knew my mum? But when I pointed you out on Iron Maiden videos or photos with your top off, she wasn't interested. Yeah, well, she might want to forget about all that. Listen, you're probably wondering why I got in touch with you, of all the people in the world. I just wanted to see how you'd grown up, Wayne. I never got the chance to get to know you. Aye? The truth was up there in the attic, Wayne. What you've wanted to know all these years. So you're my... Yeah. Father... Oh, thank goodness it was a dream. Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast. On this week's show, I'm looking at the song, The Number of the Beast, and this is track five. On the album that is also called The Number of the Beast. This means that I'm looking at the title track of the album. It's also the start of side two of the album. Last week, I ended side one with 22 Acacia Avenue. And you may recall I wasn't feeling very well, so you may have noticed it in my voice, and, and perhaps the show was a bit shorter than normal. So I apologise for this, but I was touched. By the amount of concern that I had from people, and I can confirm I'm feeling better. I say so touched by the concern. There wasn't much of it. I had a message from Welsh Errol, and he said that he couldn't hear any difference in my voice, and maybe that's the Brummy accent, and and perhaps people from Birmingham always sound like they've got a cold. I don't know if I approve of this comment. There was some concern from someone called Alan Bell in Scotland. However, He was more concerned about Dennis after his message to me. And I think this is a valid concern because Dennis was quite upset and I haven't heard from him, so I hope he is all right. Moving on to this song. And, And like The Prisoner, it opens up with a spoken word narrative. You may recall in the episode about The Prisoner that as a boy, I thought that the voice there was the devil rather than Patrick McGowan, that who Hitler was the star in the programme, The Reckon Prisoner. The number of the beast. In the same way that I thought well, that beast. voice was the devil, I thought the voice here on the number of the beast was Eddie. I saw Eddie as the beast, so I thought this was his song, and I thought the voice was quite scary, and it suited the image on the front cover of the album. I find out now it wasn't Eddie, but it was actually an actor who did the voice, and his name was Barry Clayton. I wonder why they chose him. Because at the time, he was more known for radio. However, he did go on to have another famous role. Listen to this.
2: Castle Ducula, home for many centuries to a dreadful dynasty of vicious vampire ducks, the Counts of Ducula. Legend has it that these foul beings can be destroyed by a through the heart or exposure to sunlight. This does not suffice, however, for they may be brought back to life by means of a secret rite that can be performed once a century when the moon is in the eighth it's house of Aquarius. blood. Are oh, you getting
0: So there,
1: you can hear that he was the narrator in the TV cartoon, Count Docula. I actually feel there was a bit more passion in his performance there. So you wonder why he gave more for a vampire duck than a successful heavy metal band? I'd be asking some questions if I was Steve Harris. However, his performance on the album was clearly good. It was just what was needed. And it's, it's probably more iconic than Count Duckula. Not many people remember Count Duckula. In fact, I'm going to stop mentioning Count Duckula. They were clearly happy with Barry Clayton's audition to go with him but maybe they could have gone for someone more famous someone like Tom Baker who was Doctor Who at the time or even that big man with the beard Brian Blessed The song has a similar start to 22 Acacia Avenue that sort of chugging guitar that, that is quite atmospheric Bruce's vocal is again quite low and famously he couldn't get that first line right for quite some time he felt it was right But it was the producer, Martin Birch, that made him repeatedly do it again and again until he got what was needed. This is a famous story and uh, it meant that Bruce got quite frustrated and this was what led to that famous scream that we hear later on. This, to me, shows the importance of Martin Birch as producer and, of course, sad he passed away recently. I tried to do the first line to see if I could get it right first time and it was quite good. This doesn't mean that I think I'm a better vocalist than Bruce Dickinson. There are some parts of the vocals that I might try and emulate though because later in the song there are some backing vocals that remind me of the days of Dennis Stratton. We have the lines, I'm coming back, I will return and I have the fire, I have the force. And in those lines, I will return, and I have the force. We get backing vocals. I have the fire. I, I have, have the force. force. Also in that beginning section, where it's a bit more moody, there's this guitar effect that adds to the drama. Here you go. Can I
0: believe That what I saw that night Was real and not just fantasy It almost
1: has like a windy effect behind it. I think this might be called phaser. I'm not a guitar player, but this this effect was quite popular in the early 1980s. But so was flanger and chorus. These things are sometimes hard to distinguish between because of all the different pedals people used. Sadly, I never learned the guitar. So sometimes when I'm talking about solos or effects, I'm not sure if I'm 100% accurate. It's a shame really. Um, but I felt that I'd reached a pinnacle after performing the Ides of March at my mum's Tupperware party. There are a few sections in the song that mean a bit more to me because of my own experiences. It's talking about dreams um, and about what he saw in his dreams. So here, here you go, here's the line. Because in my dreams it's always there. The evil face that twists my mind and brings me to despair. This says a lot to me at the moment because I've been having some strange dreams. Uh, especially, actually, it's, it's a bit weird to admit it, but some have had Trevor in it, and uh, I wouldn't say he's got an evil face, but certainly it, it's it's added a sort of nightmarish dimension to them and, and brought me a bit of despair. Another line is, what I saw in my old dreams was the reflection of my Walkman staring back at me. Now, I had a Walkman as a boy. Now, if you're young, you might not know, but it's a, a portable cassette player. Now, I had a Walkman, And it did sort of stare at me, especially in certain lights at night time, because the two spools that the cassette tape went round, you could see on the front of it, and they looked like eyes. And there's also a slidey button where you could switch on or off the Dolby sound. This was like the mouth. So yeah, the Walkman staring at me. I I thought it was amazing, amazing lyric, and I felt that perhaps it was something that everyone experienced when I was a man. And I still am a man. I realised that it's actually the reflections of my warped mind staring back at me. So this is disappointing. For a long time, I thought they were talking about the sort of personification of a warpman. Personification means when you give person-like qualities to an inanimate object. I was pleased to hear from Adrian Smith this week.
0: Hi, I'm Adrian Smith. As you may know, I've got a book out this month. I'd like to thank everybody who's been supportive about the book for all the pre-orders. Uh, I'm very grateful. I wrote this book two years ago, and I've been writing ever since. Uh, but it's, it's still exciting to me. And you may have seen me opening a box full of books on the Twitter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, It's all my reaction. And uh, it's a good job there was a photographer there uh, to show that. Uh, yeah, very good. Bit like those TV dramas, uh, I always think it's a, a coincidence that the cameraman happens to be there when some of the key action occurs. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm not on this podcast to promote my book, which comes out in a few weeks and it's available from all good bookstores and, and online suppliers. Anyway, as I said, you're here for my children's book that I'm currently writing. Uh, it's in draft form, uh, work in progress. So yeah, any feedback, please pass it on. Chapter 10. The Longest Day While Adrian and Dennis made curious discoveries in a snow-filled forest, Bruce, Steve, Dave and Nico were discussing plans to find their great chum, and Dennis. They were eating sandwiches in Nico's garden and were discussing how they would look for the truth. Bruce and Steve told the others that they had decided to go and visit old Mrs Stratton that evening and ask her some questions. "'as they had got nothing out of Officer Riggs. "'Do you want to come with us?' asked Steve. "'I had better not,' said Dave. "'Just before Nico could answer, "'his mother came shrieking out of the house, "'waving the afternoon newspaper. "'Another child has gone missing,' she said, "'thrusting the front page in front of the children. "'They all looked. Third child disappears,' said the headline, "'with a picture of a boy they knew from school.' It was Paul Diano. Apparently, he went missing before Dennis did, said Nico, reading the article. His parents said he often ran away, but would come back after a few days, so they didn't report it straight away. Dave began to cry. He thought about how happy he was just a few weeks ago. It was like another life. He wished he could go back. He so longed to see Adrian again. Right, said Nico's mother. You are not to go anywhere without me or your father. Nico looked sad, and tapped out a melancholy drum-roll. "'Looks like I won't be joining you two tonight,' he said. Bruce and Steve were more frightened after this latest news, but knew that they had to speak to old Mrs. Stratton. At least they would be together. That evening they approached the Stratton residence, and knocked on the door. "'Can I help you?' asked old Mrs. Stratton warily, as she held the door open. "'Hello, Mrs. Stratton,' said Bruce politely." "'May we talk to you about Dennis?' "'You had better come in,' came the reply. "'They walked through the hallway, "'unaware that Adrian had walked these very steps once before. "'They all sat down in the lounge. "'Would you like some iced lemonade?' she asked. "'Oh, yes, please,' chorused the boys. "'At last they were all sat down, ready to talk. "'He was a wonderful boy,' said old Mrs. Stratton, "'looking at a photograph of Dennis.' "'Everyone says that about their son, of course, "'but he was so clever, brighter than a thousand sons. "'Bruce and Steve nodded. "'Can we have a look in his room?' asked Bruce, "'thinking this might be a good idea. "'They had asked Adrian's father this question, "'but he had refused. "'Perhaps old Mrs. Stratton might let them look around for clues.' "'Yes, of course,' she said, to their surprise. "'Bruce and Steve went and looked in Dennis's bedroom.' but there was nothing unusual. Comics, toys, and lots of pencils crammed into a range of pie tins. They tried to open the wardrobe, but it was locked. Come on, said Steve. There's nothing here. They said goodbye to old Mrs Stratton and decided to take a longer route home so they could think about things. It had been a long day. It's all very curious, said Steve. Yes, said Bruce. Do you think... "'Shh!' said Steve suddenly, and pointed ahead. "'They were quite close to the village police station, "'and Bruce looked to see what Steve was pointing at. "'Coming out of the police station was old Mrs Stratton. "'She looked a bit different to usual, as she was wearing a large hat. "'But she can't have got here so quickly,' whispered Bruce.
1: "'This song was released as a single.' which means we can look at the artwork from Derek Riggs. Now, actually, it was released after the album came out, so it's quite frustrating that I'm doing this song before the album review and before the first single, which was Run to the Hills. On all three of these releases, there's The Devil on the sleeve. Now, that all started on Purgatory, of course, but for these three releases, the first three with Bruce Dickinson as vocalist, there's Eddie and The Devil on all of them. Now, this is the third In that series And it's got Eddie Holding the devil's head It's probably my least favourite And the least impressive of the three Because there's not as much detail But it's still very good And still quite a famous picture It also meant That there was a video released And this was also Quite an impressive feat Because there weren't many videos released At this time in 1982 I first saw the video On the Video Pieces Compilation VHS Which had four singles on it I didn't see it on anything like MTV Because we didn't have that. The video was a compilation of footage, probably at the Hammersmith Odeon, because it looked like the Beast on the Road tour backdrop. And it also had sort a montage of horror images from various black and white films, mainly of monsters and strange creatures. What I do remember as a boy was about halfway through, there was these monsters that just appeared. And then this text came on the screen that said, How to make a monster. And I like the look of this, and I was expecting at the end of the video some instructions on how to make a monster, but none came. In addition to the band performance and these monsters that just randomly appear, there's also some extra people that appear on stage with the band. We've got some ballroom dancers, this man and a woman doing some twirls and and some other dance things.
0: There's
1: also some people dressed as devils. And I knew these weren't real devils. I could tell they were people dressed up in mask and like a red bodysuit. However, Eddie also comes on and he's very impressive. This might be my favourite Eddie because it doesn't look like someone dressed up with a mask on but it doesn't look particularly futuristic or high-tech. Yet I still don't know exactly how it works. Was he a remote-controlled thing or was it a man on stilts? The theme of the song sort of takes over the dancers a bit. They're just dancing, normal man and a woman, holding up sixes. Um, and I'll explain what the sixes mean in a minute. Um, but at one point, they do a sort of twirly thing, and then the camera effect stutters a bit, and then the woman turns around, and you see her face is actually, is like a beast, this brown, furry head. This sounds like it might be quite scary, but it wasn't. She just looked a bit like Kevin the gerbil off the and Rats show, which was quite popular at the time I was watching it. As I said... They were holding up sixes, and that's because the main sing-along section in the song is 666, the number of the beast, which stems from that reading at the beginning of the song from the Book of Revelations. I didn't know about this reference at the time. 666 to me was part of a joke that was in my joke book, which was, what do you get if you dial 666? And the answer to that was, an Australian policeman. This sort of joke might be banned today. But you used to get it in joke books. It's quite well known from the 80s. And you used to get jokes like this on ice lolly sticks. So you'd have the question on the bottom of the stick where you held it. And then when you finished the ice lolly, the answer would be at the other end, underneath all the the ice lolly. They don't do that anymore. Maybe it's health and safety. But yeah, I miss it. I miss those jokes. Used to get them on curly whirlies and penguins as well. These are chocolate bars or biscuits, if you, if you don't know. Everything's too serious nowadays, isn't it? They've, they've taken away our jokes. The song was influenced by a dream that Steve Harris had after he watched the film The Omen. This is like an earlier version of the X-Men, I think, where, where the boy is the Antichrist and he has supernatural powers instead of superhero powers. There was a, a word in the song that was quite new to me and this was the word mesmerise. It sounded familiar because it sounded a bit like Memorise, or even Memorex, which was a brand of blank cassettes. The word mesmerise means to capture the complete attention of or transfix. After looking in the dictionary, I decided to use it. After the failed Valentine's card to Fiona Gregory, where I wrote out the first lines of Phantom of the Opera, I thought I'd try and impress her by saying that she mesmerised me. I was quite nervous about saying it. And I told her this at the sports day. Sadly, it was a sports day where I forgot my PE kit and I was wearing my school uniform as punishment. So she may not have taken me as seriously as she should have done and she just ran away. Right, I'm going to ring up Trevor now and see what he has to say about the song. Hi, Wayne. Hi, Trevor. Just calling you about the number of the beast. As you know, we're on that episode now of the podcast. So, uh, yeah, you just have a, have a quick chat about what you think about the song.
2: Yeah, I like it. I think you've probably spoken about the single art already, but for me, the song sums up the album art more, the sort of fires and the people. Uh, It's just like a big adventure. The lyric style, I think, is more storytelling on this album, and this is probably one of the better examples. I can feel it. I can believe that Bruce is feeling it. I didn't believe that Bruce was watching Vikings in Invaders, but that this is much better.
1: I was uh, looking at the lyrics, and... uh... What do you think of an assonant rhyme? Force and course?
2: That's not assonant.
1: Well It is.
2: It can't be because the endings are the same.
1: Yeah, but they end in different letters, don't they? Force is C-E at the end and, and course is S-E.
2: That doesn't matter. It's it's about the sounds. And, and So in my famous poem about Phantom of the Opera, I, I used Phantom, Fanta and Mazda and they're all different, They're all, they're all assonant.
1: I don't understand. What's the difference?
2: Well, force and cause do rhyme, don't they? Whereas phantom ends in an M, and phanta doesn't.
1: Okay. I got a message. You might be interested, or I was probably a bit cruel, but I got a message this week uh, that uh, Trevor puts the ass in assonant. Trevor.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not. It's quite witty, I suppose. Anyway, I suppose you want me to read my poem?
0: Yeah, yeah, if you could, yeah.
2: Okay. I woke up with hope, paper in my pocket, a phone number in girl's handwriting. I recall the night before, music, lights, and dancing. But then I gasp in horror. This is the number of a beast.
1: The number of a beast?
2: Yeah, it's it's like, you know, when you wake up and you realise, oh, no, she wasn't very nice.
1: Well, I think you, you, you can't be too choosy, can you, really?
2: Yeah, but she was awful.
1: What, who was it?
2: Oh, I didn't know who it was. I'd never met her before. just was dancing with her.
1: At a nightclub? Yeah. We never went to a nightclub.
2: No, I didn't. You weren't interested.
1: I think it's a bit harsh to to sort of call a girl a beast.
2: Well, yeah, but that, that's how I felt back then. This is probably the 90s. I wasn't as well-versed in such things.
1: OK, well, f- thank you for the poem. Um, yeah, it's interesting take on the theme, I suppose.
2: Oh, I was uh, looking online um, to see when the 666th time that they played the song live was. Oh, really? Yeah, because they've played it quite a lot, haven't they? they played it, well, over a thousand times. But it's quite difficult, Wayne, Um That setlist website is quite different to Wikipedia, so I wasn't sure what to believe. So it actually was, I'm not sure if I'm right or not.
1: Well, well, when would it have been?
2: It would have been in 1988 on the 7th Sun Tour. Um, I I think it was the Ottawa Civic Centre in May, but I'm not sure. I I might have to do some maths, or I might have to invent something.
1: Well, I don't know how you'd invent anything. Just look at the, the facts on the internet.
2: Yeah, Maybe. Are we doing a Halloween show?
1: What, what do you ask that for? I don't know. It's, I don't think that's on a Tuesday, is it? Why would we do a Halloween show?
2: Well, I just thought we might. I thought we were doing a Christmas one. Maybe we could do that as well. And maybe a Valentine's one.
1: Well, I think the, the point of the podcast was to do every song by I Made and in order, wasn't it? Um, these are bonus shows you're coming up with. Um, I think we've we've had to talk about this before, haven't we? And uh, Let's just calm down a bit.
2: Yeah, but it's September now, isn't it? So you got you got to think ahead.
1: Yeah, all right. Well, I'll give you a ring later in the week, and we can have a chat about what we could do going forward. But uh, let's get this number of the beast album out of the way. We've got four, well, three more songs on the album. I was going to do total eclipse, and then of course an album review special. So uh, that'll take us ooh, probably uh, maybe just into October, but. Uh, let's get that done first then we can look at it
2: ok thanks Wayne bye
1: ok if you want to know more you can follow me on Twitter I'm at Wayne Maiden uh, I'm hoping to post a bit more on Ko-Fi so you can have a look on that webpage as well I'll post some additional information blogs and so on um, but yeah by all means check that out as well uh, it's ko-fi.com forward slash wimp uh, I'm also on Facebook So yeah, get in touch. uh, Leave your comments. Uh, I'm happy to receive feedback. And of course, you know, occasionally read some out. I've got a comment here from someone called Parasite in Paradise. I don't know where these names come from. Um, They were a bit concerned about some inconsistencies in uh, what I've been talking about. And they said that in the Ides of March, I did a shopping list that included Frosties, which is a a cereal. And I said that... uh, this was unusual because I often wasn't allowed Frosties. However, in the episode about Children of the Damned, I claimed that I couldn't finish my bowl of ricicles when I was watching Raiders of the Lost Ark. Now, this is also a sugar-coated version of a more basic cereal. So, I don't know what the point is. Um, it doesn't mean that I never had special cereals sometimes we did sometimes we were allowed special cereals it could have been that I was watching Raiders of the Lost Ark at a friend's house and they had ricicles and I wanted to try them sometimes I had to try cereals at different places like sugar puffs I had them uh, in the Lake District once on a school trip and I liked them but we weren't allowed them but people haven't tuned in this is, this is what annoys me sometimes. People focus on these minor details. I think a long time ago, someone moaned that they didn't hear the phone ringing when I called Trevor. Uh, and I don't understand why people are, are focusing on this when I'm talking about Iron Maiden. Anyway, uh, right, yeah, so uh, that's The Number of the Beast, a very important song for Iron Maiden, one of their best, most popular. Uh, it's been played live. Apart from the song Iron Maiden, it's been played the most So it's the second most played song live. Next week, we're looking at another big song, Run to the Hills, and I'll be talking about that. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to that, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.